From Post Media, I'm Ewan Plater and this is XY, a show about mental health in men. On today's episode, I'll be catching up with James Sterling, aka London Fitness Guy. As a personal trainer, James is someone I was keen to talk to about the male body image. And as you'll hear, he's an avid believer in working not just your body, but your mind as well. Perhaps most interestingly, though, was our conversation around the London Marathon. James participated in the London Marathon a few years ago, and I think you'll agree it makes for some really interesting conversation. He certainly didn't have the experience that you might imagine. Again, I can only thank James for being so honest and transparent with me. It takes a lot of confidence to share what he did. Like with every interview on the XY show, today is not to be taken as advice. This is just a conversation between two people and should be treated as such. If you are looking for some support, I've left the details of some great organisations in the show notes, including those of Time to Change. And as always, I wanted to draw attention to their Ask Twice campaign. Sometimes we say we're fine when we're really not. A simple, are you sure you're okay, can make all the difference. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Okay, wicked, and we are off. Here we go. Record no way. Let's do it. Okay, so before we kick off, what I wanted to ask was that James is actually just back from a holiday in Florida. Um, <laughs> and there was a little Daily Mail article, I believe, written about the flight that you were on to Florida. Most terrifying experience of my life. Okay, so what went down? Was, take me was, through, it take me through boarding, through to getting off um, the jet. I'll talk you through it. I'll kind of relive the moment with you now. Um, <laughs> but basically, on a flight, heading over to Tampa, about 40 minutes from landing. It's at a point where you're... You're kind of feeling excited to be landing. You've yeah, done a long yeah. flight, sun shining out the window. You can see it. You can see the um, beach. Yeah, you, you, you're literally there. You're there. It's hot. <laughs> um, and then there was this chaos. I, I got up to go to the toilet. I felt a little bit of turbulence. And I was thinking, okay, like this might kind of level out. It'd be fine. Um, got a bit worse. And then I, I sat back down my seat, put my seatbelt on, thankfully. And then the next minute, the plane just literally dropped. Um, and I'm talking dropped. Like I've experienced some turbulence before, but this was like nothing else. Like Denzel Washington in flight, kind of the plane fell. Through yeah, the air. and it happened a few times. But I, I turned to the <laughs> side, and there, there were people in the air. And that's like a lot of people will say, "Oh, you're exaggerating," but no, there were people in the air. Um, the floor that I saw, like bags were coming out of the um, yeah bags had come out the holders. Um, there was a crack in the ceiling. A guy's a guy had actually had his head hit the ceiling and dent the ceiling shit um yeah so i'm i'm talking like serious turbulence and then uh yeah, <laughs> it, it was, i think they end up calling a medical emergency about 40 people injured um that what? were escorted off how many of them were just claiming whiplash i don't know did you like um did you like find god in those um final few minutes did you like i i actually afterlife? i guess like when, when something like that happens or when you, when you feel like you don't know what's going to happen um I was. I actually remained fairly calm because I guess there's nothing you can do if you're on a flight and it and, it's, and it goes wrong. That's yeah. that's kind of it, right? There's there's nothing you can do. It's like taking the bus. No airbags. Yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but I think you probably have that fight or flight mode. And I was actually fairly calm and chilled, um, much to my surprise. So I I've never experienced anything like it. I, I thought I was it. <laughs> the guy behind, he was fine, 100 percent fine. Um, but as soon as I said anybody injured. I've never seen someone's arm go so high. Uh, uh, and then, uh, my, my back, my back, my back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so he's they, they must out. be hit by claims hard. Yeah, yeah, that, he's flying private from yeah. now on, like yeah. problem solved. Yeah. Okay, well, now that your um, near-death experience is over, let's get yeah. into it. So the first kind of big area that I wanted to talk to you about, the first, um, I guess, kind of section of the show, was just to get a bit of background from you on your journey with uh, fitness. So if you could just introduce, you know, what it is you do and yep. give us a bit of an overview of how you arrived where you're at today yeah, in terms of your career. It's been um, a really mixed journey for me, I guess. I, I did sports science at um, university in Southampton um, and I finished my degree. 
but I actually never thought I would progress into a career as a personal trainer. It was something I just didn't really yeah. see as an option because for me, it was something that you could do whilst you're at college or whilst you're at school. You, 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 know, you can get your qualification. You can go and do it straight from school. Um, and it's felt to me like a waste of my degree. Um, okay. And I guess like from there, I fell into it naturally over the course of six years. I'd done a grad scheme and I, I traveled around um, uh, the country on a grad scheme in leisure. And then I ended up uh, bizarrely working for badminton England. And even though I've got nothing to do with badminton, I can't play badminton to save my life. Um, then went to Fulham Football Club to work uh, for their foundation, which was um, to date one of the best jobs I've ever had. I was Amazing. working with young people, um, 11 to kind of like 19, um, who were involved in gangs um, and crime and, and you know, drug dealing, all, all this sorts of wow. mad stuff. Yeah, um, That's right on our doorstep as well. You know, it's in Clapham, Brixton. They're from the estates um, in these areas. And it's so detached from my life that it was such a rewarding and amazing job. And Fulham Football Club Foundation, they, they do amazing things, these young people. Um, but it was it was a mind-blowing job. Um, and then an opportunity came up. I, I started working with Fitbit. Um, and yeah, I just, I just kind of fell into PTing and, and loved it and thought it's now or never. And was it always important to you, even before you did your sports science degree, was fitness always a feature in your life? Yeah. You know what? I, at school, I'd been the, the typical skinny guy and, um, it, it was, I, I tried to gain weight. I couldn't gain weight. I was pretty self-conscious about it because I was playing a lot of sport and I remember someone said, we can always tell James because he's a tall, skinny guy. Yeah. And um, it was something I always wanted to try and work on. And I, I didn't really know much about the gym. I'd started doing a bit of gym work, but your classic, like, oh, I'd go in and do biceps and triceps. Yeah. And then uh, that would be my session done. You're um, describing but, how I go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when I got to university, I started uh, training, I guess, properly with, with a couple of uh, my friends and, and fell in love with lifting weights and, and doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I actually spiraled the other way and ended up putting so much weight on um, from eating so much food. I actually became pretty unhealthy. And like, I guess like, back then, my my ethos would be, I just say how big I can get, you know, how much muscle I can put on. Um, but looking back now, I was I was just is in a bad place probably as someone that doesn't go to gym because I wasn't doing anything for my cardiovascular, for my heart, for my health. I was just so solely focused on how I looked. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a really bad place to get stuck into and really difficult to get out of yeah. if you get stuck in that circle, in that loop. Because I think one of the things that um, I've seen you do before is you posted an Instagram carousel and it was kind of three images of you at different mm-hmm. moments, I guess, in your um, in your training. So one would be you looking quite bulky. The next would be when you were trying to maybe tone up and kind of shred or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you also posted in the caption what your mental state was at those yeah. different times. And why was that important for you to align the kind of physical um, journey that you were going on with the mental journey that you were going on at the same time? I, I think it's something I, I didn't really appreciate until I took a moment to step back and look back on my journey in fitness. And I'd gone through this stage where I'd uh, been in a relationship and I'd come out of it. And, I, and I, I, I thought to myself, getting in as good shape as possible is is my way of mm. coping or dealing with 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 what I'm up to at the moment. And I was uh, I was in Bristol um, living and working then I said to myself right, I'm going to set myself a goal of doing a fitness competition it was really popular it still is popular amongst groups of people now but that's what I'd set myself a target of doing competing in a competition and seeing mm-hmm. how good or to, in my eyes good I yeah. could get my body um, and the, the routine was 
unbelievable. I was doing two sessions a day. Um, I was eating the cleanest, I hate the word, but the cleanest food I possibly could at the time. Yeah. Clean eating was a big thing. It was like, you know, chicken, broccoli and rice all the time. Um, and, you know, I'd got myself to this this point where I'd become so obsessed yeah. with how I looked and how I, I wanted others to perceive me that it just took over my life. Yeah. And I think um, obsessions are really interesting, wasn't one, isn't it, in terms of describing fitness? Because in some ways, an obsession with fitness, actual fitness, should be a good thing, right? You should be obsessed with being in shape and being healthy and happy, mind and body. Why do you think it goes the other way, where that obsession becomes about sheer vanity and and whatever the rest? Yeah, I mean, I guess like too much of anything is not a good thing. If you look yeah. at self-esteem, too much self-esteem, you become arrogant. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I'd become with my fitness. I was so obsessed that everything around me had become about fitness. Yeah. Like I wouldn't go out with my friends. I was scared to go out with my friends at times because I didn't want to drink. Yeah. Or I didn't want to eat the foods that we're going to have at a meal. I'd look at menus before we went out for a meal. Yeah. Now like you look at that and that's unhealthy obsession. Yeah. Um, but I was prepared to, to 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 do all that just to look a certain way. Yeah. Uh, and looking back now, it, it took me a good four years to get out of that cycle. Which is a tough cycle to break, I guess, because you're you're talking about um I guess living more of a balanced life instead of um a really rigorous uh, training diet or whatever. Um and did you feel unhappy at the time when you you're saying you were kind of afraid to go out with your friends or whatever and you didn't want to drink alcohol? Um because I guess me and I, I think a lot of people that listen to this show can relate that you get this guilt if you have like a big night out and you're hungover the next day and it means you can't go a run or can't go to the gym or if you get a McDonald's on the way home or whatever the case may be, you feel this um, kind of shame and guilt about it. Whereas, and how do you, how do you, how do you address that? You know, like what's, what's wrong with enjoying yourself, but then also you still want to live a healthy lifestyle. It's, um, it's a tough one to, yeah, to kind of balance I mean, up. I think a lot of people struggle with the fact that you know, if you eat chocolate, they feel like they've got to burn the chocolate off. Yeah. Um, and it becomes that balancing act. So if I'd gone out and eaten something, I'd feel really guilty. Yeah. And the moment you start to feel guilt around foods, it's it's because of an over-restriction. You've, yeah. you've restricted yourself so much that when you have it, you feel like you've done something wrong or you need more of it then. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I would have these huge binges where I would have, let's say, a chocolate bar. And then suddenly that chocolate bar would become a full bar of chocolate, you know, like yeah, yeah. a full big bar of chocolate yeah I'm I'm talking like a binge like no other yeah and it it annoys me because on social media now you see people quite often kind of showing off about these binges and to me I'm looking at that thinking there's something not right here because that is just the the cause of an over restriction that's what what over restriction creates a binge totally um so now my philosophy has really changed from having a binge to actually you know if you have a piece of chocolate or a chocolate bar whatever it might be during the week yeah you're going to crave it less because you're giving yourself stuff in moderation, right? And I think as well that something that I noticed with you is there was, um, you've spoken before about being yourself, you know? And in that post, I think you mentioned that uh, it took you a long time to feel comfortable enough to start posting on Instagram about your routines and what you were up to and uh, your training and what you're eating and basically creating a personal brand for yourself. Um why, why was it so hard for you, who's someone that's in great shape and a professional in their sphere, who'd already done some great work in the industry, was qualified and had a degree, 
why do you think that anyone, but specifically being yourself, is such like a hard thing to do and put yourself out there? I guess when you when you put yourself out on social media, you're putting yourself to out to potentially millions, if not billions, probably in hell of people that use yeah. Instagram. Um, and the problem with the fitness industry, or not really the problem, but one of the issues I have is there's so much debate around what people should and shouldn't be doing. Uh-huh. Um, a prime example is if 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 you if I post a hit workout, a bodyweight hit workout. That's going to be really useful for someone. Yeah. But if if there's a bodybuilder looking at that, they're going to look at that and think, well, that's a load of rubbish. It's not for me. Because it's not for them. But there's a bit of a narrow-minded mindset now in that people struggle to see that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it doesn't relate to them, then it's no good. Um, but I, what, what I really want to try and start doing through social media is opening people's eyes to see that actually, you know, a bodyweight workout is great for uh, a mum at home with childcare yeah. or, you know, a dad at home with childcare yeah. or someone that doesn't have access or can afford a gym or someone who travels a lot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just so narrow minded. And with my content, I guess I kind of parved paved, <laughs> paved, <laughs> paved that way of like looking, wanting to help people like that yeah. rather than help people who are 12% body fat become 6% body fat. It's just not what I'm interested in. Yeah. And they're already there. They've, they're already a pro, you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They've created a habit. And um, what, what changed for you then? What, what gave you that confidence to put yourself out there in the public sphere on social media? I think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I was scared initially about, I mean, my friends used to give me so much stick and I think yeah. they'd be the first to say like, they used, they used to give me <laughs> stick. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you when you start doing Instagram stories and all these sorts of things, it's quite a daunting thing. You know, you're yeah. putting your, your, your face up on the camera, you're speaking to a camera, yeah. and then you're posting it. Um, but I, I really believed in, and still obviously do believe in, in what I do and what who I help. And I think the moment I started to post stuff that people could relate to and use and benefit from yeah. is the moment a, a, a switch flicked for me. And I, and I thought, actually, you know what? I know my audience who I want to help. I know what I want to do and I know what people benefit from. There was a mission to it. There was a purpose behind what you were doing and it was, it was kind of taking you somewhere with it as opposed to you just doing it for the sake yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. if I look at back at content over three years of Instagram, I look back and I'm like, wow. Uh, that was some different <laughs> that stuff. was that was a bad post. yeah yeah that's yeah. A, not a great one yeah i think as well is that you grew really quickly you know because you were um you had a job um and then you moved into this freelance space but i feel like your social presence as an influencer grew really quickly in terms of the visibility of you as an individual and the london fitness guy brand what pressures or stresses if any did that come with was that a struggle to feel yourself more in the public eye mm, I, I guess like for me like I've never really considered myself to be an influencer yeah um I I think just as a caveat I hate <laughs> that word I don't know a single influencer in inverted commas that likes that word yeah I mean um, I'm a PT um yeah. and you know I I give content and I give workouts for people to do and my influence, I guess, is yeah. in me giving those workouts and allowing yeah. people to use them. Um, so I, th- I think in, in terms of social media and, and growth, there, there's always a, a pressure. Yeah. I, I 100% feel that. Not as often now, but I, I mean, last week I had a moment where you know, I, was, I had a bit of a meltdown. I was thinking to myself, you know, how can I compete with these people who are in amazing shape? Um, and it doesn't happen often, but... You know, there, there is definitely a time or times when I do look at other people's social media and I think to myself, that's how I need to look. Mm-hmm. And is that stressful for you? Because I guess it's it's about comparisons um, in a big way. Because, you know, 
even you just saying that, I'm thinking, how could you ever look at someone else and think they're in such amazing shape? How do I get to that? But then equally, I guess, once you reach something, you're looking at what the next um, the next plateau could be. Um, so it's just interesting, I think, that um, for you looking at what's above you, everyone else is probably looking up to you in that um, that same way. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think sometimes why everyone needs a reminder at times about why they started doing what they're doing. And it's the same in any job. Um, you know, you, you, I don't get one to ones with a boss or a manager in this work. It's it's me and yeah. my, my family and friends around me that support me. Yeah. But you know, I don't have someone to sit down with and say, "All right, these are the issues I'm having at work." Really, like it, it or someone to kind of speak to that. I've got friends who do similar stuff, which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no one really there to give that guidance as such yeah. in terms of what what I should be doing. Um, so like. I guess like at times I, I, I will naturally compare myself to other people in the industry who are doing similar things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes if, you know, if it's not going as well that week as I'd like it to, or, you know, people don't seem to be engaged with my content. I'm thinking my content's not good enough. Then I'm starting to look at other people going, well, you know, what, what are they doing that I'm not? Or how, how are they getting this growth? Or how are they getting uh, these jobs and stuff that I, I'm not getting at the moment? What, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. And that's the issue. And actually, it's, it's a reminder for me to, uh, to to think about why I started doing what I'm doing and, and keep that message consistent and not worry about that. So kind of staying in your lane, you know, like, don't worry about anyone else, just stick to it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's far easier said than done, right? Totally. I mean, it's the same. I was actually doing a talk this morning and I said to someone that even in the workplace, if someone gets promoted you're thinking to yourself, well, why have they been promoted, but I haven't? Yeah. And it's exactly the same as in social media. Yeah. It's, it's a job. It's, yeah. it's, it's part of people's life. It's what they do. It's really hard not to take it personally as well, to think that, oh, well, why didn't this photo perform or whatever? It's- yeah, I mean, 100%. Yeah. And I, I guess I, there I'm, I'm, I put out as much variety as I possibly can yeah. because, you know, a, uh, a cool down uh, workout for someone might be really beneficial. Yeah. But it probably isn't beneficial to someone else. So you can't please everyone in social media. You can't please everyone in life. That's just the how way it is. goes. I think as well, something that I'd love to um, pick your brain on is there's been a lot of research to demonstrate that mental health issues are very prevalent amongst professional athletes, which in a weird way is quite a paradox or a potential juxtaposition because exercise is supposed to be really good for your mental is really good for your mental health. What is it about professional um, athletes and specifically male athletes that you think has this predisposition to mental health issues like anxiety and stress and depression? I guess it's probably the pressure, first of all. I think I was chatting to someone this morning. They were talking to me about how they used to do ballet. Um, and they were saying the pressure of doing ballet was so extreme yeah. to look a certain way or perform a certain way. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's the same as any professional sport. You know, being around Fulham, I used to see the players. Um, and, you know, when the season's not going well, everybody's self-esteem takes a big hit. And self-esteem is is linked to everything in, in terms of mental health. You've got depression, you've got um, anxiety, you've got drug abuse. Like it all stems from that self-esteem. And if your self-esteem takes a big hit, then you find yourself in a position where you're thinking to yourself, well, how am I going to get myself out of this? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit when you start, a bit like when you start comparing yourself and thinking you're not good enough, you've got to find a way to bounce back from that. Um, and I think in, in sport with professional athletes, if they're not getting the results they're getting, they're going to be starting to question why they're not and why other people are and what they're doing wrong. And if they're good enough, yeah. And I think that's 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 the biggest cause for concern amongst professional athletes. And that makes a lot of sense if it is the pressure. I think um, an analogy that I have spoken about with um, 
friends before is I can't imagine the mental scrutiny you must put yourself under. Um, someone like Usain Bolt, right, who trains for four years for 10 seconds of performance mm-hmm. at the Olympics. You know, everything is riding. The last four years of your career are riding on 10 seconds of performance. And that's all you have to be great in inverted yeah. commas, you know. And if you miss it at that moment, then you don't have the big sports brand sponsor. You're not in the big TV adverts, which must do quite a lot to you mentally in terms of how much you feel you've got to achieve in any given period of time. So that that makes a lot of sense in terms of the pressure to perform. Why do you think that um, there's such a stigma for male athletes? And when I say male athletes, I'm I'm probably talking about football mainly and then maybe rugby for these guys to not open up about um, how they're feeling. Um, why do you think that there is this stigma in sports that it's a weakness to kind of show emotion or not? It's not a stigma in sport, it's a stigma in society, but specifically within sport, I feel like you don't really see premiership footballers or premiership athletes generally coming out and talking about how they feel. Why is it that sport has that um, issue? I think this, the the taboo and like the taboo of mental health is always that it's a sign of weakness. And I think that's yeah. always how people or how people currently perceive mental health issues. Um, you know, I've, I've, I quite often talk about my own issues of anxiety uh, that I experienced over the course of the last like year and a half on social, yeah. because I think it's really worthwhile. Yeah. And I know from talking about it, that people will come back to me and say, I'm so glad you said that because I've experienced exactly the same thing. And it's nice to know that someone else feels the same. But I genuinely believe that if, if, if footballers or sports performers start opening up more, then it will lead to a bigger campaign where we see more and more people coming forward to these issues and seeking help. Yeah, and normalise the conversation. Yeah. You know what? I think one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that I wanted to have you on the show was a post that you, um, you re-shared recently um, of you at the London Marathon finish line. And just to kind of set the scene um, for the viewers, the photos of you finishing the London Marathon, you look absolutely exhausted, but you've got this beaming smile on your face. You've just achieved this colossal physical feat. Was it your first marathon? Yeah, and last. And last, (laughs) never again. I think most people say that. It's addictive, but yeah, they always say, I wouldn't want to do another one, but I probably will. It's this weird obsession. So yeah, you've just finished the London Marathon, um, massive achievement. And yet the caption underneath tells a really different story mm-hmm. about what went on directly after you finished yeah. um, the marathon. Would you mind kind of talking yeah, I mean, through what happened? L- looking back now, I, I, it was my first anxiety attack after the marathon. I didn't know what it was. I just thought I was really depleted um, and struggling from what was an incredibly hot day. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was so hot out there. Uh, I remember I went to my sister and she was like, you feel like it was like a hot sponge on my shoulder because my t-shirt was so wet from like sweat and water, but it was so hot. Um, And I think at the time I just, I put it down to that, but I actually don't think it was the marathon itself, but the lead up to it, everything I've been doing before, I put myself under a lot of pressure. I hadn't done enough training for it. Um, I've been trying to lift weights to try and like keep my body the shape I wanted it to be in. Um, I probably hadn't been eating enough. Um, my recovery wasn't good enough. I just wasn't in a good place. And I think if you do any endurance event, like a marathon or a triathlon, whatever it might be, you have to be in the right mindset to do it. Um, and you have to be in the right mindset to commit to it. And something will end up taking a sacrifice, but I wasn't prepared to sacrifice. I wanted to keep my life the same and just train. Yeah. 
Um, so I just finished the marathon, just crossed the finish line. Um, I, I felt amazing. I was really happy. But interestingly, what triggered this whole thing is that I looked down at my phone and it died. So I had no battery. Um, I had no wallet. I had no credit card. I, I couldn't get home. I couldn't yeah. contact anyone. My family were there. I couldn't speak to them. And I just finished on the phone to my mum when it died. And then I looked down at my uh, Fitbit and I, my heart rate had gone to about 130. And I started to panic because I was recovering and um, yeah. it, it was going up. Um, I remember just walking over thinking, how am I going to get out of this mass of people that have all just finished with their medals? How am I going to get home? Yeah, and it, it, it triggered something in me that really made me panic. Um, and I remember walking through the arches and uh, there was a security guard there and I kind of like bent down and held my knees and he said, are you all right? And I said, I actually don't think I am. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he directed me to St. John's Ambulance and I sat there for a little bit of time, charged my mobile up and, and, and called my family. They all came over, obviously panicked. Um, but I didn't know what it was. I just assumed I was burnt out um, from, from running the, the event. But you felt physically unwell enough to check yourself into yeah i mean it's it's pretty rare especially then it was pretty rare that i would feel like that and i I felt like something wasn't right yeah um my heart was pounding um i've I've actually felt like i was having a heart attack that's how i would describe it it's that feeling of doom i thought like something's something's bad is happening here and if you've never experienced that before or maybe even if you have it must be terrifying to think my i'm having a heart attack or there's something wrong and i don't know what it is yeah i mean I've panicked about, well, not panicked, but I've been cautious of doing endurance events before. I've had my heart checked yeah. because I, I just think everyone that does an endurance event should. It's a smart thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a no-brainer. I think that's like the best £60 you'll spend yeah. to make sure that you're healthy for an event. Yeah. Um, and I can't advise that enough. If you do an endurance event, just get yourself checked out beforehand. Yeah. Um, but, so I kind of knew nothing was, was wrong, but you just go into thinking that everything bad is happening to you um that's how i describe it but that was my first instance of anxiety but i didn't know it. yeah um and so then at that from, time you had no idea what it was no idea were... never had an anxiety attack before and i say I'm, I'm not sure it stemmed from the marathon but more the, the whole build up to it yeah um finishing and then checking my mobile call my mum, my mobile dying the whole kind of series of events i think just just led towards that meltdown and what um i guess what happened next so the attack ended and you went home and you were fine? How yeah, did- I mean, I was I was absolutely fine. I just thought, yeah, I'd recovered, get some sugar in me, that sort of thing. Um, and then over the course of the next six months, I just ha- kept having these instances where I was, I remember was actually I was walking back from work, um, back from the gym. I just finished PT. I weirdly kept having these thoughts that like when I was walking back home that something bad was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I would get home and I'd be like, well, that's, that's weird. I've not had that before. And then it happened again and it happened again. Um, to a point where it, it got so bad that I went into work one morning, I was training a client. I said, I, I feel really weird here. Um, and I felt my heart rate start to rise again. I felt like I was having that heart attack, that same emotion. And I went home and you know what? I got back home and I just wanted to burst into tears. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, I would say I'm a pretty strong guy. Um, but I got back home and I felt like doom was upon me. Yeah. Um, I, I sat on my bed. I was like, what is going on? Like, this isn't right um I'd, it was always health related um so i think it's health related anxiety where yeah. you know, i'd had 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 my, my mum had been diagnosed with cancer previously and you know it's always on my that's always been on my mind yeah. so as soon as something was up in terms of my body i thought the worst yeah you kind of just presumed it was the worst possible yeah. scenario and and that was it you were dead yeah. kind of thing yeah it got it got to one point where it was driving me insane 
um, to the point where I thought I was going mental. Yeah. Like I thought that was it. Um, you know, I, I sat there watching a film one day uh, and the film was, was, was making me feel anxious. Yeah. And it was brewing and brewing and brewing. And I, I guess it, I, I know it's everyone says, but talking to someone is the best way of calming down anxiety. And is that um, how you, is that how and, you kind of yeah, kick steps? I would do that this? every time. I would actually call my mum yeah. quite often and I'd speak to her um, and it really helps. It, it made me feel sane. It made me feel like this was normal and fine. Yeah. Um, because I, I had a one point where I thought I was going to get checked into hospital and I was mad. Yeah. Like career over. Yeah. Life over. I thought, I thought I'd, I'd lost the plot. Man. And that's, you know, credit to you, James, because you're sitting here talking about it in a really open way and you don't sound um stressed to talk about it you don't look stressed to talk about it i feel like you've got a real um comfort with this just being the situation that that you've gone through yeah but you're really happy to kind of vocalize that yeah um yeah I, well I just, I just think it's so important i mean um one of my friends is a doctor and you know he, he spoke to me about it and he actually recommended headspace um and i started using that which definitely does help and i guess like over the last six months really i've i've learned to control that feeling so when it does start to brew and i start to feel it um i can control it yeah but i was i was on a flight back home from somewhere and um <laughs> I, i'd fallen asleep and um i woke up uh, it was always on flights i don't know what's going on <laughs> um but I'd, I'd woken up and um the the, the stewardess was, was running down and saying we need a doctor we need a doctor and that set me off and, you know, everyone was looking around to me because I was noticeably having a panic attack, anxiety. Um, people offered me bags to breathe with. Wow. Um, but that's the thing. It would just come out of nowhere yeah. initially until I, I suddenly started to recognize the triggers or recognize the feelings of it brewing. Yeah. And then I could control it myself. And what kind of coping, me- what kind of coping mechanisms do you have for that now? Or do you have a toolbox of things that you're able to go to to... Um, to- like lessen the impact of these attacks. Yeah, I mean, I say like most of my anxiety was triggered by something health related. Yeah. So I I was fortunate I could narrow it down to what was kind of triggering this or what was making me feel this way. Um, one of the best things I did was have like a health check. Yeah. Um, I just went and had a full check, my heart, my bloods, everything, um, and it all came back fine. It was a massive like peace of mind for me that really yeah. helped. Um, I say I use headspace, um, when I feel overwhelmed and, and that helps before I go to bed, it really helps me sleep. Uh, most of the time it sends me to sleep. Yeah. Um, so you're a big fan of meditation then you enjoy using that? Yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I can't sit there for much longer than 10 minutes, but mm-hmm. if 10 minutes is enough for me, I'm happy to do that. Um, you know, you don't have to sit there for hours on end and, and do this sort of thing. You do what works for you. Yeah, that's cool. And I guess, um, I think that, I think that one of the big things, um, around everything that you've just said is that talking to people inevitably makes it better. And even when you said going for a health check just um, helped alleviate some concerns, in a much more simplistic way, I know that if I've got a busy day at work, even just writing or rewriting my to-do list makes me feel infinitely better because I feel like I've just consolidated what needs done for the day. You've already ticked off five answers. And if having that health check for you actually was just like, right, okay, well, I don't need to worry about X, Y, Z anymore. I can offload that somewhere else. Yeah, I mean... You look at that health check and health anxiety for me, for example. I mean, I was exercising most days, like at least four to five times a week, which is mad to think I would have health anxiety because I would consider myself to be a pretty healthy guy. Yeah. But, you know, you you just can't pinpoint what is going to be 
your cause for concern. And it's not rational, you know, it doesn't need to be logical. The thing that you're worried about to someone else might actually seem completely irrational. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you be worried about health or fitness or whatever? Um, But I guess it's it's personal to you. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly the same as, uh, you know, feeling not confident in my body. Yeah. Um, When other people say, oh, you look great. But, you know, what you see on the outside isn't what someone is feeling on the inside. And I, I know we, we see all these campaigns of asking people if they're okay. Um, and we kind of see it so many times now that we just kind of take it as like, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, are, are you okay campaign? Mm-hmm. But it, it does make such a difference. But it's reliant on that other person to be willing to talk about it. Because yeah. if they're not, if they're not, not accepting of something there, yeah. then they're going to struggle to get the help. I guess someone needs to want to have help yeah. you know someone needs to want to open yeah. up and chat. I mean, it's, it's like self-esteem so like if you look at your self-esteem your self-esteem is low to get it higher to build your own self-esteem you have to be accepting of your strengths and your weaknesses mm-hmm. because you can't possibly develop yourself and be accept accepting of yourself if you're not prepared to accept those weaknesses yeah it's a very unarrogant place to be like yeah. this is what i'm good at this is what i'm bad at this yeah. is just the truth yeah that's cool could I actually ask you to talk a little bit about something you mentioned earlier? So you said that when you worked at Fulham Football Club, um, it was with uh, a kind of local community that was supporting people get out of crime and drugs and mm-hmm. things like that. Is that what you, yeah. you said? So could you talk a little bit about that? Because that's, you know, that sounds like really empowering work to do. I think it'd be really interesting to hear you yeah. kind of explain how that how that. Yeah, existed. I mean, um, so it was... It was without doubt one of my favorite jobs i've had today and uh, the the foundation at fulham um it's a charitable organization it's like a a side arm to the club um and they, re- they receive money from various um funding a uh, premier league for example um but the money is invested into these local communities through football essentially um so football's kind of the introduction to these kids or to these young people and then from there we build rapport we we built rapport um and then supported them in terms of their confidence their self esteem we tried to take them out of their environment mm-hmm. and put them into something positive um and yeah i mean it was just the most rewarding job i've had and they do some incredible incredible stuff probably um not documented as much as it should be yeah. um because it's incredible and i think that socioeconomic background has such a massive connection to an individual's mental health. I'm not saying that money is the secret to happiness, but not having it is it's yeah. not great. You know, it's hard to live if you um, can't get by. You yeah. Know? I mean, I keep talking about self-esteem because self-esteem is one of the biggest causes of mental health issues. Yeah. But self-esteem is driven from childhood. Yeah. So if you are overweight as a child and you're picked on and bullied at school for being overweight, that's going to stick with you through life. And that's what causes this self-confidence issue or self-image. You look at yourself and, and you're that that's, that's what's caused that concern or that thought in your head that you are overweight and not good enough. Um, So it's, it's not having that, that upbringing or not, not having a role model or someone in your life to support you um, or kind of, nurture i guess yeah that leads to to these issues and again talking about it having a support structure from a young age you're not protected from things going wrong but as long as you can open up about it then i imagine hopefully if we could drill that into young men at a younger age they would have less issues in later life yeah a hundred percent i mean 100 percent agree with that and i think that this isn't a this isn't a question that i'm looking for an answer to because i don't know if there is a simple answer but suicide is still the biggest killer of young men globally. Um, and in the UK, we have a real issue with it. 
what do you think is going to be the watershed on that colossal issue? When is suicide not going to be such a male-centric problem? Well, I think the problem for males is that we do open up less. Um, and and you know, bottling thoughts, feelings, emotions, it, it lingers in your head to yeah. a point where it tips you over the edge. Um, and I think to kind of relieve some of these issues for men, it's, it's about using some of these role models that we do currently use, to be fair, um, to talk a bit more. But I, d- I don't think it's the fact of, I mean, I don't know where you go. It's not that easily accessible, right? So like, it's great to have these role models talk about it. We've got Mind Charity where you can call and, and so on. But it, I, I still don't think it's an accessible way of getting people to talk openly about it and feel supported. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have amazing friends and family. But if you don't have that network who really get it, yeah, then it's very difficult. Well, I guess charities and stuff, they're amazing to have and they should be and better funded, more visible and all the rest of it. But they're after the fact, you know, they exist when a problem has already occurred. You need somewhere to turn. It's more the preventative thing in society, like Mm -hmm. you say, that people need networks around them that they feel comfortable opening up to. The the network is absolutely key. And that's why I love uh, fitness in in London, because I think the network that we have here of people is brilliant. The community we have, like some of these studios and some of these places where you can go and exercise, are incredible communities yeah and you know sometimes that is what people need a place where they go they feel safe they feel welcome um they feel like they can talk openly um and you know if if people are going to these trainers trusted people and and kind of saying they've got these issues then that's a huge win in my eyes yeah totally i mean it's it all comes down to goal setting right so your goals are different to my goals um which are different to joe blogs who doesn't exercise at all um, the, the importance of goal setting, um, is that the goals are smart. Yeah. And when we say smart, we mean they're, they're realistic, you know, they're sensible, they're measurable and, and they're personal to you. Um, so when you set those goals, the biggest reason that people drop out of fitness is because the goals they've set themselves over a month or over three months, wherever it yeah. might be, are not realistic. It's like, if I said to you now, yeah. uh, you know, go and run a marathon next week. It's not something that I should be yeah. able to do in a week. Yeah. So I'm going to fall short. Yeah. So I, if I if I train a client, for example, who has never done fitness before, has a terrible diet, there is no chance I'm going to say to them, right, I want you to eat chicken, broccoli and veg for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I want you to train four times a week. It's unrealistic. Yeah. For me, a good result for them is that they've come and they've done two sessions. Yeah. And that is a big change. It's double the work they were doing. It's yeah. a huge change. Accomplishment. Yeah. And that's what I mean by that feeling accomplished and feeling like they've achieved something is that you're setting a goal for yourself and you're feeling like, yeah, I've, I've gone to smash that. I'm yeah. really happy with that. But this is where social media plays a bit of a bad hand because if you're happy with what you've done over the week and then you load up your Instagram page and you see these guys in amazing shape doing these incredible things with weights, yeah. then that suddenly becomes a little bit deflated where you're thinking, okay, I've done well, but I'm nowhere near that. And that's the issue we've got. And, you know, I think it's that's so true. And you look at it in a bit of a silo, because if I look at um, like a, a Henry Cavill or someone like that, and you just think, how is that even possible? Like I could, I will never be able to achieve a physique like that. So if you're thinking about it from a fitness point of view, you automatically feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. But you're, I guess, not taking into account that that's his job to look yeah, that I mean, way, you know? Same with athletes. They're yeah. professionally paid to be in excellent shape yeah. to achieve sporting goals. I, mean, I, was, I was reading an article from the guy uh, from The Bodyguard 
And um, he did an article last week saying about the extreme measures he had to go through to get in shape and saying yeah. about the impact it had on him. And these guys, these actors, these people who do it have to do it for a living. Yeah. It's you know, destroying their mental health. Yeah. Because one minute they're getting super lean, one minute they've got to get bigger, one minute they're back to lean. They're constantly yo-yoing yeah. to fit the part of a film. Zac Efron came out the other week and said the same thing about when yeah. he did the, like the Baywatch film. It's just unrealistic, unachievable, and not sustainable. Zac Efron and Baywatch is, I don't know, he's got muscles in places I didn't know you had yeah, muscles. Yeah, I mean, the guy's, the guy's pretty stacked. He's ripped. Dumb he's ripped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, I don't know, it's fun to talk about and it's a laugh yeah. um, to chat about with the guys, but I, I know what you mean. It's not, um, it can be, you can laugh externally about yeah. it, but then actually internally, if you're just yeah. sitting there on the couch looking at it, yeah. you're like, oh, this makes me feel shit. Yeah, I, I, it's really easy for me to look at that because I've, I've been there, I've yeah. done it. Um, and it's a miserable, miserable place. Yeah. And I can see exactly where they're coming from. And, and like, that's the problem we've got is that people will look at that and think, I, I want to get like that. Yeah. But they don't understand the sacrifices they have to go through to get there. And it is a sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, like, y- your life is is 10% happiness because yeah. like the 90% of the rest of your life is occupied by getting in shape. Yeah. Um, and that's not living. It's not life. And that's what I always say to clients, like more than happy for you to try and get the body shape you want, but you have to be, un- be able to understand and recognize the sacrifice you have to make to get there. Yeah. So if you're drinking like five times a week, six times a week, it's not going to happen. So something's got to give. So are you prepared to do it? Or not, because like that's that's down for you to decide. And if not, fine. Yeah, I mean, whatever makes you happy. Cool. Yeah, you yeah. know what? I, my my body shape probably hasn't changed over the last two years. Yeah, and I'm completely cool with that. Um, obviously, I say there are times where I'll think, oh, I need to get bigger. I need to get more muscular. But actually, when I snap out of that mentality, I'm pretty happy because I live a good life. I eat food I like. Yeah. I go out with my friends. I, I do these things, not like excessively. Yeah, but enough where I'm satisfied. Because I feel like I found that balance between handling social life, the gym, and fitness. Which I guess is the dream scenario, you know? Yeah. One of the things that we've kind of touched on a little bit is about the male body image in the media. And I know that you worked on the X Factor as the personal trainer to the mm-hmm. show for a season or two. I don't know how. Yeah, you... a season, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's an environment where not everybody looks the same, but on the media as a whole, there is... I feel anyway, a push for men to look a certain way and achieve a certain um, level of being ripped or shredded or whatever. Mm-hmm. How was how that environment in your experience? What, what, was, what was TV land like for you in terms of what people were supposed to look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a really interesting experience because I, I was working with a, a complete range of people from like a 16, 17 year old right through to like a 40 year old. Yeah. Um, and they didn't really want to exercise. They went, they weren't in it in the X factor to exercise. Yeah. It was like that thing where I was rocking up and it's like, Oh God, the PT's here again. Here we go. Cool. Yeah. I, there was a couple of the guys that were pretty keen on it, but everyone else was kind of like, okay, like we just got to do this or, Oh, actually, you know, I've got to go and do something else now. I'll see you later kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but that show was really interesting because every single week I came back, I, you could see changes in people um and in their self-esteem and people that were quite shy had suddenly become a little bit more extrovert yeah and it was because i believe of the show i mean it puts you in these situations where you have to play up i guess it's a bit like big big brother you've got to play up to get the vote and you've got to change your personality you've got to change your character you've got to change all these things yeah because you're in a competition 
I don't think it's healthy because I don't think it's it's good for you to feel that pressure. It'd be so much better in that show if they were staying at their house, they did their song, they came and performed the weekends, they went home, see you later. Yeah. You know, that's that's the competition. Why they all have to be bundled into this kind of like fantasy land of all these things could happen to you if you win. I don't think that's good. I don't think any show that does that is good for the mental health. I mean, we've seen it at Love Island, right? Like, Yeah, totally. And this, I feel like Love Island is the topic that kind of keep coming, keeps coming back up in the show. Um, and it probably doesn't deserve the amount of airtime it's getting in the press or on the show. But I do feel like it, um, it has become a bit of a line in the sand. You know, people are talking about reality TV differently. Because um, if you're not used to that world, definitely can have an impact on. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I know guys from reality TV shows and I, I've, you know, worked with them before. And, you know, I, I, I've kind of like. I guess not experienced it myself, but I, I, I recognize, I understand the pressures that these shows might have. And, you know, a lot of the time the, the, the shows will, will, will show an edit of someone and that's then how the public perceive that person. Yeah. Um, you know, some amazing people in these shows, but then they're, they're not, they're not given the true character. Yeah. They're not, they, you know, it's got to be entertaining. They're painted it's, in it's a certain entertainment. Yeah. They're bait for entertainment. And I think that you, you don't really get, you can't walk away from it, you know? Like, if you put yourself on that show, you are then whatever that show decides yeah. to make you. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we will wrap up uh, in just a second. The The last kind of point I wanted to to say is, um, and again, this is super cheesy, but if you <laughs> could um, if you could give, like, a younger version of yourself any advice, yeah. um, what, what would you want to say to a younger oh, guy? Um, I think with the younger generation, there is possibly more of an emphasis on looking good or getting abs or getting a chest or getting arms. You know, a lot of the the questions I get from social media from younger people are, are how do I get abs? Yeah. And there is so much more to focus on than that, that these guys should be thinking about career, about, you know, wh- what they want to achieve and and that sort of thing, that positive stuff for the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, then focusing energy into trying to look a certain way. And my advice to my younger self would be, stop worrying about what how other people perceive you and focus on your own self-development awesome i think that's a really good place for us to um to wrap up there thanks so much for joining us on the show yeah no it's been great yeah been good fantastic thanks so much (laughs) thanks very much man you've been listening to james sterling on xy with me ewan plater thanks so much for taking the time once again to listen to the show if i could ask a favor it would be to make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever it is that you listen to my podcast And also, if you would take the time to give us a five-star review on iTunes, it would be massively appreciated. Thanks again and see you next week. Bye for now.